Night Live on ABC Radio. Joining us for Nightlife News Breakdown, Fran Kelly, very experienced political commentator, of course, these days presenter of the ABC's The Party Room podcast. Fran, good evening. Welcome to Nightlife. Good evening. It's a pleasure to be here, Philip. Well, it's a terrific to have you with us, too. Uh, lots of comment over the last few days, gee, about the Reserve Bank of Australia. We've been making comments here in the program saying Philip Lowe seems determined to make himself the most unlikable man in <laughs> Australia. <laughs> and... Uh, and has come out swinging in his latest announcement, of course, saying if you didn't like this round of interest rates, uh, don't worry about it because I've got some more coming. So, well, yeah. And, and, and it's, it has sparked, of course, um, pushback from some political quarters. Uh, not from Jim Chalmers, who says, after all, the, the RBA is an independent body, which, of course, it is. But it's unusual to see others, perhaps, is it? Or maybe it's not. You've been around a long time. Well, it, it's it, sort of it is and it isn't. Um, at this stage in election electoral cycle, I think it is unusual because the independence of the Reserve Bank is, uh, you know, a strongly held tenant really within our political system. Mm. Um, and so Treasurer Jim Chalmers is following the orthodoxy, as does Anthony Albanese, when they're asked about it um, by saying, look, you've got to understand they're an independent body and we're not going to interfere with the independence of the bank. So it's not like the old days when Paul Keating used to talk about having his hand on the lever. It's different now. But what we have seen, I mean, the issue here, and I think the the reveal or the tell, if you like, is that this was the ninth interest rate rise in a row. People are hurting. Sometime this year, at points during the year, something like 800,000 homeowners are going to go off their fixed interest rate of 2% or slightly more or slightly less, and they're going to hit the new price hikes. They're going to cop all these nine rate rises, and they're going to get, you know, the shock of their life and bill shock, let's be clear. Um, Labor front benches and back benches are nervous about this. The cost of living crisis is already is already the major political story of the year. You know, people are barely coping, a lot of them, with these interest rate rises. And so we've seen the likes of Bill Shorten, former Labor leader, come out very clearly, uh, not once but twice since the rate rise, and basically tell the bank that he thinks, you know, they should remember that, you know, rate rises work in the future and inflation is a lag indicator and, you know, have they forgotten that? But even even more pointedly, I think we saw the Assistant Treasurer, Stephen Jones, saying the government h- hopes and thinks that this is, if not the last, nearly the last of the rate rises. And that's a pretty clear signal from the Albanese government, from the Assistant Treasurer, no less, that they think this should be close to the the, the the, the, the rise, you know, this should be close to the peak. And um, I think that reveals how worried Labor is about these rate rises, not just the reality of them for people, um, people trying to pay their mortgages, trying, you know, if you've got a $750,000 mortgage, which is not that unusual in Sydney and or Melbourne, for instance, you know, these rate rises have whacked on an extra close to $1,400 a month. Trouble is, the government really can't, I mean, can they do much about it? They'll be under pressure to, no. I, I said yesterday. All they can do is this jawboning, right? Yeah, so yeah, they've got because... the Greens leader saying, tell them to, you know, revoke this last rate hike. Well, they can't <laughs> do that. But what they can do is send out people like the Assistant Treasurer to jawbone and make it very clear to the Reserve Bank Governor um, that actually they think this should be the last and that his comments saying, you know, future rate rises, increases, plural, really didn't go down too well. In, no, no in this Canberra. is the thing, isn't it? Because with the forthcoming budget uh, as well, it's not as though the government can suddenly start splashing cash around to uh, ease the cost of living, uh, subsidise the cost of petrol, subsidise power bills, hand out money. 
because after all, that's inflationary, isn't it? Yeah. So therefore, the government are a bit hamstrung here. And I, I made the point yesterday that they're going to wear some of this, aren't they? They may resent it, but they are going to wear some of this because people will say, well, well you're, you're the government, you're, you're the government, you do something about it. And they always do. And, you know, it's the economy stupid. I mean, that's, it's, that's always what um, political, you know, popularity comes down to, really, the management of the economy and how people are feeling it. And even worse for this Labor government, I think, is they come off the two years of COVID where we got very used to government, the government splashing money. You know, the last government, you know, took the petrol tax off for a while, you know, and um, you know, slash petrol tax, things like that. That, that cost a, over a billion dollars to do that. Um, and, you know, really it was a pretty meaningless kind of gesture in a way. It was expensive. People liked it. People wanted it. But it didn't last. It was not going to do anything structural to change anything. Labor's trying to – they've got the dual problem of trying to say, well, we are helping – but we're actually not into short-term fixes because we're trying to restructure the economy to put it on a better, more sustainable footing. That's all very well, and people love the sound of that kind of message, but they also want the pain to stop. Mm. So they also like governments, and we got very used to it during the COVID years, giving us something. Now, Labor will be giving us something in the May budget. They will be giving some of those electric uh, – or in the months after the May budget, the um, the price the cuts to our electricity prices, some of us. Um, so some people, low and middle income earners, will get some price relief, but that's pretty much only the only handout I think we're going to see for the reason you said that handouts at this moment will only make the pain last longer, will only add to inflation, not help reduce it. Yes. Do you think the debate about all this has changed? Uh, do people actually see that the government can't do much about it? I think we know it in a in a rational I think part of our brain knows that mm -hmm. and I think at election times we do like that kind of talk but I think when you're really hurting each fortnight you know when you just don't have the money to do what you need to do because your interest rates have gone up by you know somewhere between 800 and 1400 dollars or more a month and everything at the grocery store is costing a lot more and your power prices are going up another 25% on top of the rises of last year, then I just think you want someone to help. And the only one to help is the government. Let's face it, you know, can't you do something? So Anthony Albanese has got to keep pushing the messages of, you know, cheaper childcare, energy price relief, um, fee-free TAFE, things like that, and hope that they get through to people. But I think in the short term, the government is going to have to find some short-term um, relief mm. for, on some of these points at some time. I don't think it'll be in this budget besides the energy bill relief um, because we're still too far out from an election for them to have to absolutely panic. But Peter Dutton is thrashing this and he's going to keep thrashing it all the way to the next election. So just a, just let's a, see what happens to inflation. Yeah, just a side point, by the way, on Bill Shorten, uh, who's been quite vocal about a range of things, this included. I mean, he's not He's not an economic minister as such. I mean, he's minister for the... Well, he's got plenty on his hands trying to sort out the NDIS for a start, which has uh, got all sorts of problems. But it does seem as though um, the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, is quite comfortable with Mr Shorten having this quite senior uh, uh, leadership and spokesman role in the government. Former leaders often go back into a corner, don't they? 
Yeah, well, look, I can't tell you. I honestly don't know how comfortable or uncomfortable he is. Mm. But if he is uncomfortable with it, it would have to get very, very painful and uncomfortable before he let all us know about it. It might really, really annoy him. But Bill Shorten has his commentary place on breakfast TV, commercial TV. Yeah. So, therefore, he is, you know, there not just to talk about the NDIS. He's there to talk about the issues of the day. He is a former leader. He is a senior minister. Whether Anthony Albanese is entirely comfortable with that or not, you know, I think, you know, leaders have to learn how to wrangle former leaders. It's not easy. Malcolm Turnbull did a pretty bad job of it, I think, with Tony Abbott um, by giving him nothing to do, essentially, and cutting him out altogether. So I think, you know, I think, you know, keep, keep an eye on it. But I think as a former leader, Bill Shorten probably – is entitled, or it does make sense to people to hear him speaking on some of these sure. issues. Frank Kelly's with us. This is Nightlife News Breakdown. We're talking about, um, well, stuff that comes out of the Parliament this week too. In Parliament uh, today, a range of senators delivered some quite emotional speeches about the Alice Springs crisis, speaking of things we can't seem to fix. And uh, they spoke about the reimposition of the alcohol ban too. What were you hearing? Well, I think it's... You know, it's it's really interesting and just reveals the complexity of this problem, which in Alice Springs, which sort of came to a head uh, in the last few months with the crime, basically crime wave on the streets, um, where the residents of Alice Springs, black and white, said, this is no good, we've got to stop this. And, you know, we know now that Indigenous leaders were warning the government in the last months, the later months of last year, after the... Um, the alcohol bans had been lifted with the end of the stronger, um, the the, inter- the latest version of the intervention, the alcohol bans. When they were lifted, there were Indigenous and non-Indigenous people warning the government, federal and and territory, that this would result in major um, civil unrest, essentially, mm-hmm. and that's what's happened. And. Labor didn't act on it federally because they were leaving it to the Northern Territory government and that was presumably a sort of a delicate um, power relationship between Well, the Northern Territory government doesn't appear to be up to it, do they? Uh, I mean, to put it bluntly, they're, they're, not, they're not really up to it, are they? Well, and they... I don't know whether they're up to it or not. I've spoken to senior police in the Northern Territory who have, by and large, had a really fairly positive words to say about the Territory Government, to be honest, um, but they also were a- absolutely adamant that you needed to stop the, you know, bring in these alcohol bans again to stop the, fer- the, the ferocious domestic violence. The one senior policeman I spoke to said it would stop overnight mm-hmm. if you brought in these alcohol bans, and we've already seen some statistics that both basically say that is what's happened. So it's it, it ain't rocket science, and people knew, knew well, it. The, ter- the Territory yeah. Government had this view of they believed that their citizens did not like the intervention, presumably they're indigenous, I mean, predominantly they're Indigenous citizens, because they said it was racist. You know, it's one law for black, one law for white. So they were, they were determined to not re-implement it, but, however, we've got to this point now where the federal government, which has major powers in terms of responsibilities for Indigenous Australians, have essentially come over the top of them. Mm. Yes, exactly, exactly. They might not have liked it, but here we are back again. Back at and the... they should have done it earlier. They should have done it earlier. At... And this, this has blown up in their face. Mm. I mean, what happened on the streets was, you know, out of control by all accounts. And 
you know, really they've only just managed to scrape in these alcohol bans um, and everyone agree in a very, very hasty manoeuvre, really, a, a one-week review. I've never seen such a thing. Um, mm. But they've got them back in place and if it seems to me from this distance that people are breathing a sigh of relief. There is a structure now, a framework. Communities will um, still be able to have some control over their alcohol consumption, but they'll have to have you know, alcohol plans that are agreed on by 60% of the community. Mm. But I was interested to hear the um, the Green Senator, um, Senator Dorinda Cox today, say, describe the, the alcohol bans as a Band-Aid, saying what we all know, that the problem needs to be much more, um, uh, m- much more broad spectrum than that. It needs yeah. to be, you know, lifting the age of criminality. It needs to be better housing. It needs to be... Um, teaching in language in schools so kids can actually learn because the, the attendance rates at schools in some most of these communities is shocking. And these are problems that appear to be intractable, except they can't be. So alcohol except is an are, obvious I one. Here they are, but except they are. And except they are, but and, they can't and, be. And we just go, you, you've been reporting on a long time, so have I. We just go round and round yeah, and round. $30 billion with, dollars a year, you know. We go round and this. round and, and the same problems appear and, 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 and nothing ever seems to change. And, no and Indigenous Australians are saying, well, the problem is you keep going round and round for years and you're not coming to us for the solutions. Mm. And if you would change the way we do that, then we might see some change here. That was the message from the Greens Centre today. Labor Senator Malandira McCarthy, on the other hand, was, you know, was one of those voices urging her government to bring in these bans. She was urging them to do it. She'd been urging them for a long time to do it mm. because she said the top priority has got to be to keep women and children safe. So it's interesting to me we've got these two different views from Indigenous senators at the moment, um, but we have the bans in place. They do seem to be having an immediate effect. It's what comes next, I think, that is telling Indeed. about how sincere the government is on this. Mm, indeed. All right, Fran, great to talk. Thank you. Thanks very much, Philip. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife.